Is there something you've been going through that you feel like you might not be able to get through? First time I ever felt that way was when I was in seventh grade. I wasn't sure that I was gonna survive seventh grade. It seemed like it was going to last forever. Now, I don't know too many people that when you ask them, what was the greatest year of your life? They say, definitely seventh grade. I mean, moving into junior high and puberty, that was a wonderful combination. You know, I mean, that was definitely the best year of my life. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. So for those of you who are in seventh grade, I just wanna tell you from experience, you will get through this. For those of you who are parents of a seventh grader, I'm not so sure. No, I believe you will get through this. And some of you are really worried about getting through the holidays because you know it's the only time all year long when your whole dysfunctional family gathers in one place and the sparks fly. And every family's dysfunctional to some degree. And once you realize that fact, then you can start putting the fun back in dysfunction. Our family's dysfunctional, and that's great because we just put the fun and dysfunction in the Shook family. And I want you to know, if you're worried about it, Thanksgiving and Christmas will come, and you will get through this. But then there are those real struggles that seem to just stall out over our lives and overwhelm us and drain us of our energy, and we feel like we just won't have the strength to ever make it through. Maybe it's the dark cloud of depression that never seems to dissipate. Or it's a hurt that just hangs on and never seems to heal. Or maybe it's a financial loss that you feel like you'll never be able to dig your way out of. Or maybe it's a marriage problem, the same problem over and over and over again and you think you'll never get through it. Well, I'm here to tell you, whatever struggle you're going through, with God's power, you will get through it. It may be painful. It might not be overnight. You may feel overwhelmed right now, but you will get through it because if you're a Christ follower, your struggles won't last forever, but you will. You will outlast your struggles. And for some of you, this will be the first Christmas without someone in your family. Or maybe you're going through the pain of divorce and there are some struggles, some wounds, some hurts that you will never get over. But you will get through it with God's power. That's why we're starting this series. Because we're looking at heroes of the Bible that went through struggles. And every hero of the Bible has gone through struggles and God uses our struggles so that we can find his strength in our lives. Without struggles, you would never turn to God's strength. Today we're gonna to look at a guy in the Bible who struggled with anxiety and depression. His name was Elijah. Elijah was the Iron Man of the Old Testament, the great prophet of God, totally committed to God. God was doing powerful things through his life, and yet he struggled with anxiety and depression. You know, we tend to forget that the great heroes of the Bible were just like you and me, ordinary people people with flaws and faults and struggles. I love the Bible because it just tells you the truth. It tells you about the great successes and what God did through the heroes of the faith. It also lets you know about their faults and their flaws. It doesn't skip over their struggles because God uses our struggles so that we can find his strength. But we tend to forget that about the heroes of the Bible, that it was their brokenness that led them 
to God's blessedness. I mean, just think about it. All the heroes of the Bible had struggles. Gideon was deeply insecure. Peter denied Christ. David committed adultery. Jonah ran from God. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Jacob was a cheater. Samuel was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was too dead. But God still used them, every single one of them. You see, God takes our struggles and turns them into stars. But Elijah, he was suffering from and struggling with depression and anxiety. That's something I've struggled with in my life. And it's a struggle that has turned me to God's strength over and over again, probably more than anything else in my life. That's the struggle that's helped me learn to experience God's strength. Well, Elijah was coming off this mountaintop experience where God had called him to bring the people up to Mount Carmel. You see, the people of Israel had turned away from the living God, and they were worshiping the idol of Baal because wicked King Ahab and Jezebel, the queen, had turned the people to the worship of the idol of Baal, which was Jezebel's idol that she had brought with her. And so they were worshiping this vile form of worship. It was really demonic. It involved self-harm and violence and temple prostitutes, and the people had been turning to the worship of Baal, and so God told Elijah, you need to go up on the mountaintop and bring as many people as you can, and the people of Israel, and then bring 400 prophets of Baal, and we're gonna have a showdown. It was a battle between the prophets of Baal and the one true God, and the prophets of Baal built an altar, and they prayed to their God, and nothing happened. And then Elijah built an altar, and he prayed to the one true God, and fire fell from heaven. It destroyed the altar, and the priests of Baal were killed. The people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the people were turning back to God, seeing who the true God was. I mean, it was a huge victory for Elijah. It was a huge victory for God. God had used Elijah in such a powerful way, but he didn't have time to celebrate the victory because as soon as this happens, Jezebel, the wicked queen, sends a note to Elijah that says, you have killed my prophets of my God, Baal. Within 24 hours, you're a dead man. I'm gonna kill you. And it strikes fear in the heart of Elijah. He's filled with anxiety, and he runs as far away from Jezebel as he can run. And this is real important because he had just come from a mountaintop experience. This man of God who had faced down over 400 prophets of Baal, these demonic prophets, and he, he had stood before wicked King Ahab, and he had told him off with God's power. And here he gets one note from the queen, and it fills his heart with fear. And then he sinks into a depression. And that shows me that we're real susceptible when we're on the mountaintop. You know, it's after your greatest victories, your greatest highs, that you can hit your deepest lows. And we have to be ready for that because that's the way the enemy works. And so Elijah, for some reason, he was in this place right after this great victory where he was really susceptible, and that little note starts him on a spiral. And he runs as far away as he can run from Jezebel, fearing for his life. He ends up out in the wilderness, in the desert, and he's worn out, physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, sinks into a deep depression, and he crawls under a juniper tree, and he says, God, I'm done. You know, I just wanna die. He feels like a failure. He, he feels like he just couldn't turn all the people's hearts back to God and, and everything is just in this perspective that 
where everything is just in a gloom and he can't break free from it. And he says, I just want to die. Now, it's amazing to me that Elijah was one of the only two people in the scripture who never died. God took him onto heaven in a chariot of fire. But here he is saying, I just want to die. My life is worthless. You know, I'll never be enough. I don't have what it takes. I've failed. It's awful. God, just take my life. I'm done with this. He is sunk into this deep depression, and God doesn't judge him. God just sends an angel to give him food and water and sustenance. And that's another thing you need to know, that many times when we're running on fumes, when we've been running and running and running and running, and we never stop to take care of ourselves, that leaves us really susceptible because we act like we're God and we don't have needs when everyone has needs. And so God just feeds him. He feels a little better, but then he just keeps running. He keeps running away from God, away from Jezebel, away from everyone, and then he crawls into a cave. And when you're going through depression, many times you withdraw. Sometimes it's the worst thing that you can do, but you don't wanna see anyone, you don't wanna talk to anyone, you don't wanna talk to God. You're just in that cave, and it's just a cave of self. It just closes in. It's a cave of voices telling you that you'll never be enough, that you just don't have what it takes, that you're a failure. and All these things that came crashing down on Elijah. Here he is. You know, he's like 150 miles from where he should have been, and he's in this little cave all alone, this great prophet of God. And God doesn't condemn him. You know, what caused Elijah to be depressed? Well, depression is always multifaceted. Anxiety is always multifaceted. It's definitely spiritual aspects to it. There's emotional aspects to it, but there's also physical aspects to it. You know, and that's why psychiatrists and doctors and Christian counselors are so important to help you get through anxiety and depression because God uses medicines for some people have low serotonin and there's a chemical imbalance that really adds to it. I remember one time here at church, I shared with you my struggle with panic attacks and how God had used that in my life and how God had led me to a Christian psychiatrist who had prescribed some medicine, and that was part of what God used to bring healing and strength to me and um, had low, low serotonin levels and started doing that. It was very helpful. And then afterwards, someone said to me, well, I think medicines for anxiety and depression are of the devil. And I said, well, praise God for the devil then because it's helped me a lot. And then I thought, wait a minute, that didn't come out right, you know? (laughs) Take that off the tape right now, please, because I don't want anyone to think I'm praising God for the devil here at Wilderness Church. But but you know what I mean. It's like God can use anything, and God uses doctors and wisdom and all that, and that's part of it. And, And so if you had diabetes and your body wasn't producing insulin, you would take insulin shots, wouldn't you? If you have low serotonin, wouldn't you do something to help that? if it's available. And so that's part of it, that chemical imbalance or the physical side of it that we still don't understand much about the brain. Uh, But then there's also that spiritual side, that emotional side. Now, is depression a sin? No. But you can make some sinful decisions when you're depressed. You you can do, make some wrong choices. I think Elijah made a wrong choice to run away from everybody when he was depressed, but God doesn't judge him. He just comes after him. And so we pick up the story while this great man of God is in a cave 
crawled up into a cave, hiding from life. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. And would you stand in honor of God's word? And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us through our broadcast and online ministry around the world. You know, we just want to say to you that you're part of our church. We love you. And everyone worshiping with us through our satellite campuses, we love our church in Atascacita and our church in North Point and right here in the Woodlands. And so follow along with me. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Everything is bad. It's awful. It's terrible. You just hear that, can't you, coming from him? And God doesn't even judge him or he doesn't stop him. He just listens. And then the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escapes the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So he was saying, hey, I still have a purpose and a plan for you. It's the biggest one ever. And you're not alone. There's 7,000 others on your team. You just feel alone. And I want to say to you again, with God's power, you will get through this. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you know the struggle that every single person is going through, that they feel like they might not be able to get through. And I know, Lord, that those struggles are what you use the most to turn us to your strength. So right now, whatever the struggle is, that you would help them and help each one of us see that you'll give us the power to make it through, that you care about us, that you love us, and you speak to us in a gentle whisper to call us close to yourself. And as you speak to us in the next few moments in that gentle whisper, draw us to yourself, hold us, heal us, Strengthen us, refresh us, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I want you to see first and foremost, whatever struggle you're going through, God uses my greatest struggle to get my attention. God always uses your greatest struggle to get your attention, to point you to him. In 1 Kings 19.11, it says, then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. Underline that phrase, at attention before God. It's my struggles that bring me to the end of myself and point me to God. They get my attention so that I can focus my attention off of myself and onto God. C.S. Lewis said, God shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's your pain that grabs you and points you to God. It's your pain that gets your attention to get your eyes off of you and onto the only one 
who can meet your needs. Now let's go on in verse 11. It says, a hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. So God sends a hurricane force wind. It was more than hurricane force, I believe, because it tore through the rocks and there was a rock slide and it just shattered those rocks. But it says God didn't speak to Elijah through the hurricane force wind, but God used the wind to get his attention. God uses the hurricane force winds of change that blow into our lives and that slam into our lives and knock us off our feet and onto our knees to get our attention. And the hurricane force winds of change will slam into every life. And when they come into your life, everything feels uncertain. Everything seems shaky. You're not sure where to stand because nothing feels level and nothing feels right. Those hurricane winds of change will come into every life. And God uses them to get your attention. Sometimes it's the seasons of life because they're always changing. And, and many times we just think we're always gonna be the same and everyone around us is always gonna be the same and then all of a sudden we hit a new season of life and we're not ready for it. That's why midlife crisis takes place. And people just derail many times because of the seasons of life as they hit because they're not ready for it because the seasons are always changing. Circumstances are always changing. The winds of change blow into all of our circumstances. And sometimes everything is just perfect and going great. We think it's always gonna be that way. And then, boom, a hurricane force wind comes through and changes everything. People come and go. There may be someone who's betrayed you and it's changed so much in your life. Friends move away. People are mobile. Things are always changing. Everything's constantly changing. The only thing you can count on is change is going to happen. Everything's changing, but it's that change, the hurricane force winds of change when they slam into your life that point you to God, the only one who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even when I'm faithless, the scripture says, he remains faithful. He's the only one that I can count on when the hurricane force winds of change blow into your life, into your relationships, into your family. If you don't look to God, they will tear you apart. But if you look to God, he'll show you how to set your sails to catch the winds of change so that that change takes you to new places and new levels and you see that the best is yet to come. But after he sent the wind, then it says he sent an earthquake. Look at this next passage. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. So after the wind, the ground starts shaking, an earthquake hits, but God didn't speak to Elijah through the earthquake, but he used the earthquake to get his attention, and God uses the earthquakes of life to get our attention. When everything under our feet starts to crack, and the very thing that we trusted in the most starts to crumble, and we see that what we built our life on was a faulty foundation, there was a fault in it, and it's not a sure thing, and the earthquakes of life come in, and the earthquakes come into every life, and they shake us. And that's what happened with Elijah. The earthquake came in, and it got his attention. And God uses the struggles of life to shake us and to break us so that we realize what we're trusting in, what we're depending on, what we're trying to find happiness in will never satisfy. 
It's not strong enough to hold us up when the storms of life hit, when the earthquakes rock us. God uses struggles to shake us and to break us, but then he brought a fire. Look at the next part in verse 12. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. So God sends wind, earthquake, fire. Sounds like Elijah had run to California. I mean, pretty crazy. For those of you who are watching from California, we love you. We love California, except for the wind, earthquake, and the fire, um, and the taxes. But other than that, we pray for you often, and we love you. In all seriousness, we do pray for you for the fires that are, are going through in Southern California. Um, we in Houston understand natural disasters, floods and hurricanes and Hurricane Harvey, and so we love you and we're with you, praying for you. But it says here there was a fire. You know, God didn't speak, though, through the flame, but he used the flame to get Elijah's attention. And sometimes God uses the flame of failure to burn away our pride so that we're left sitting in the ash heap of our own mistakes and we can't blame anyone else, but we know we caused it. It's the flame of our failures where we burn out and we have to look up to God and we say, God, I I can't break that addiction. I thought I could, but this failure, now I'm at the bottom and I realize it has to be you. God, I can't change that person. I need to give it over to you. God, I can't get through this brick wall, this struggle that I have. God, I can't get over this problem that I'm dealing with constantly. God, I need you. It's the flame of our failure that makes us look to the victorious one when we realize that we can't do it in and of our own strength. I love Matthew 5, 3 in the message paraphrase. It's the beatitude that kicks it all off You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. See, until we come to the end of ourselves, we can never experience God's strength. And so as we come to the end of ourselves and we're emptied of ourselves, we can be filled up with God. If you're full of pride, you can't be full of God. If you're full of yourself, you can't be full of God. And so God uses our struggles to empty us out so that we can experience his strength in our lives that's divine and supernatural. That's why it's so important for you who are parents to not save your kids from struggles and pain. It's just natural for parents to wanna jump in and to save their kids from going through any struggles, any pain. We wanna save our kids, but if you save your kids from all their struggles, then you'll steal from your kids their future success. Save them from their struggles, you steal their success. There are some things that we have to go through, some things you only learn by being burned. You have to go through some pain. You have to go through some struggles and some difficulties so you can learn the lessons that God wants you to learn. I uh, recently heard the true story about Alexander J. Sanders, who, when he was the Chief Justice of the Appeals Court in South Carolina, he was asked to speak at the commencement ceremony at the University of South Carolina uh, not too long ago when his daughter Zoe was a senior in the graduating class. And as he began to speak, he told a story about Zoe when she was three years old, which I'm sure Zoe was really happy about, sitting in the crowd. But he said that he came home one evening and there was a family crisis. His three-year-old daughter Zoe's turtle had died and she was just crying her eyes out. She was inconsolable and his wife said, this is your problem. And so being a dad who wanted to fix it for his little girl so she wouldn't have to go through any pain like all dads are, 
His first idea seemed like a brilliant one to me. He said, let's just go to the pet store right now, Zoe, and I'll buy you another turtle just like your turtle. She wasn't having any of it. It's like, that's a different turtle. So then he came up with another brilliant idea. He said, why don't we have a funeral service for your turtle? And she said, what's that? And he was trying to explain a funeral service to a three-year-old, and he said, it's a celebration of the turtle's life. It's, it's like a birthday party. We'll have cake, and we'll have lemonade and ice cream, and we'll get some balloons, and we'll just honor your turtle's life with a big party. Her tears dried up right away, and a big smile of excitement came across her face. But then Sanders said something utterly unexpected happened. They looked down, and the turtle started moving. And within seconds, it was crawling. It wasn't dead after all. It just looked dead. And he said, I was so shocked, I didn't know what to say, but three-year-old Zoe, without any hesitation, looked her father right in the eye and said, let's kill it, Daddy. She grew up to be a serial killer. No. Sometimes uh, there's unintended consequences to us trying to save our kids from going through any pain or struggles. And, you know, we're always trying to rescue them, rescue them, rescue them. But don't rescue them from what God wants to do in their life. Don't save them from the successes that God wants to bring, the things that they have to learn through failures. Well, God uses my struggles to get my attention but God uses a gentle whisper to call me close. God used a gentle whisper to call Elijah out of that cave. In verse 12, it says, and after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Underline a gentle whisper. God didn't speak to Elijah through the hurricane force winds or the earthquake or the fire, but he spoke to him in a gentle whisper in the middle of his depression and it brought him out of the cave. He spoke to him in a gentle whisper. And when you whisper to someone, that means you're really close, unless you're talking on a microphone. If you whisper, it means you're right there, right there in their ear. You're right there with them. For you see, when Elijah ran from God, and he ran into the wilderness, and he kept running, and he kept running, and he ran into that little cave, and he crawled up in that little cave. God had chased him the whole way, and he whispered to him to say, I'm close. I'm not going to leave you in your pain. He didn't judge him. He whispered to him to say, I'm right here with you, and I'll never leave you. I'll walk through this depression with you. I'll walk through this struggle with you. I'll walk through this grief with you. This is so important because when people are going through grief and pain, a lot of times uh, we don't know what to do. And we're not very good at grieving in our culture today. And when someone's not happy, we just want to be happy. We want to say something that fixes it. We want to do something that fixes it for them. And it just doesn't work that way. What we need to do is just stay with them in the middle of the pain, to walk with them through the pain. I see husbands make the mistake that I've often made where they try to make their wife be happy, that they think it's their job to make her happy. It's not your job, husband, to make your wife happy. Wife, it's not your job to make your husband happy. And when they're going through pain and hurt, 
it's your job to stay with them in it, to be there in it, and walk through it with them. But many times we're just clueless. We want our kids to be happy, we wanna fix everything, we wanna make everything right, and we don't know how to be with someone in their pain. We don't know how to just sit with someone in their hurt and in their grief and walk through it with them. Heard about a clueless husband whose wife was going through depression and, and he just wanted to fix it. He was trying to make her happy and everything failed and just made it worse. And, and so they got an appointment with a psychiatrist and after talking for just a couple of minutes, this wise doctor knew exactly what the problem was and so he stood up and he looked over at the husband and he walked over to the wife and he took her by the hands and he said, I am so sorry that you're hurting. And then he gave her a hug. And all of a sudden, light started coming back into her eyes. You could just see that her whole facial expression just relaxed. And, and then he looked over at the husband and he said, sir, this is what your wife needs every single day. And the husband said, well, I can bring her to you once a week, but every single day is gonna be real expensive. <laughs> Clueless. We laugh at that, but that's just about the way it is. You know, we, we wanna fix things, fix it, rather than just be with someone. And praise God, he's not trying to fix us. He's more concerned about being with us. And then when he's with us, and we connect to him, when he draws us out with a gentle whisper and we step out to him, he holds us. And then he changes us with his power in his presence. He changes us with his presence. We become more like him. He fills us up when we're empty with his divine strength. And so that's what happens here. He calls Elijah out and it's really important to understand that the wind and the earthquake and the fire didn't bring Elijah out. It showed God's power, it got his attention, but it didn't draw him close. It was the gentle whisper that God uses to speak to us in our struggle that brings us close. And it says in verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when he walked out, he still had the cloak of shame over him because when you're going through a struggle, a lot of times you feel shame. You feel like you're not worthy. You feel like that, you know, that you failed miserably. And so he was wearing the cloak of shame, but the gentle whisper drew him out. There's something about the gentle whisper that was attractive that God's gentle whisper that says, Elijah, come here. And he called him to himself and he took a step out of the cave Still had the cloak of shame on, but God was working on it. And what does God do? He just asks him gently in a gentle whisper, what are you doing here, Elijah? God knew what he was doing there. God knew he was in the middle of this depression. God knew that he'd chosen to run away rather than run toward God in the pain. But God just wanted him to think about it. What are you doing here? What's going on? And then Elijah goes into the woe is me he says, God, you know I'm the only one left and it's awful and I just wanna die and it's terrible and I've tried to do everything for you. I mean, I'm trying so hard, nothing's working and God just listens. God just listens. But then God speaks in that gentle whisper three things that he spoke to Elijah that he will speak to you in your greatest struggle. That he will speak to us in our greatest struggle and I want you to see what they are. 
first. God whispers to you, I'm not finished with you yet. He comes to us in our greatest struggle and says, I'm not finished with you yet. It's time to get back in the game. In fact, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. He was saying, get back in the game because Elijah thought that God was totally finished with him. Elijah thought that he had just derailed and that God could never use him again. He just gave up. He felt like a failure. And God says, you're not a failure. It's not final. Get back in the game. Go back the way you came. Go back to what you were doing, but do it in a different way. See, God said, I want you to go back in the game. I'm not through with you yet. God's the God of the second chance. And some of you feel like God is finished with you, that you can't get back in the game, that you're so far out of God's will, you can't get back in it. And God says, nope, just take a step back the way you came. But this time, you're gonna do it differently. It's not gonna be about you. This time, you're gonna do it differently. And God told Elijah, hey, I've got the greatest purpose ahead for you that I've ever had for you. The most important mission is ahead. The best is yet to come, Elijah. All the things that I've done through you have been great and fine, but this is the biggie coming up. I'm not finished with you yet. In fact, I've got the greatest thing ahead for you. Get back in the game. Get back to where you came from, but don't do it the same way. This time, it's gonna be about your legacy. It's gonna be about raising me up for all eternity. I want you to build a legacy. This time, I've got a team ready for you, and you're just gonna give yourself away, and give yourself away, and give yourself away, and give yourself away, and do something that's gonna last not five years from now, not 500 years from now, but for all eternity. That's what I'm gonna do through you. You see, when we're going through depression, or any struggle, we tend to get our eyes on ourselves, and our struggles, and our pain, and, and we forget about God, and we forget about others, and and one of the things that God does is he redirects us to focus on him and his power and then to turn to others, to admit our need and then to help people who are going through what we're going through, to see others in pain. Something happens when we get our eyes off ourselves onto others. God just fills us and strengthens us. And we have a great opportunity to do that. This church is all about leaving a legacy. This church is all about making an eternal difference, and so every December, we have what we call our Heart for the House offering, and it's a chance just to give over and above our regular tithes and giving for the ministries and missions of the church to go to the next level, to grow in the next year, to reach more people, to meet the needs of more people, and, and to really make a difference and an impact for the Lord. And so we put in your program a brochure. It's called the Heart for the House December Offering. See it right here, and this little brochure I hope you'll take it out. I hope you'll open it up right now. I don't have time to spend on it today, really, but just I just want you to look at it because it talks about all the life change. And then on the last page, it tells us all the life change just this year, that 4,176 people have committed their lives to Christ at Woodlands Church this year. And that's just eternal life change. Isn't that amazing? And when one person comes to Christ, it changes generations. And over 500,000 people have experienced Christ's love through our 120 mission projects, including our food programs, medical clinics, our rescue from human trafficking ministry, our disaster relief, clean water initiatives, and so much more. And then four and a half million people watch at least one service per month through our broadcast and digital, digital media around the world. And that's just a few of the things God's doing through you to create a legacy of life change. Are you doing anything in your one and only life that's gonna last five years from now? 50 years from now, 500 years from now, for all eternity. Eternal lives being changed.
And so what is the heart for the house offering on December 14th and 15th? Well, look at it with me on the last page. It's an opportunity for every one of us to show love for Jesus and Woodlands Church by giving sacrificially over and above our regular tithes and offerings so the church can continue to fulfill the mission of Christ by sharing the love of Jesus to a hurting world. It's our chance to do something over and above for the glory of God. Secondly, it's an opportunity to trust God with our finances and give in faith so we can experience the promised blessings in a powerful way. If you wanna build your faith, giving is where it's at because God says you cannot give me. Given will be given unto you. And so as we learn to give sacrificially, we learn to let go. We learn to trust God's promises because he's going to give back. It's a chance for your whole family to experience that. And then thirdly, it's an opportunity to meet a practical need that the church has to reach our ministry and missions budget. The end of the year giving is often 20% or even 30% of our ministry budget at Woodland Church. And that means all the ministries of 2020 depend on this for us to expand ministries, for us to keep doing the ministries that we're doing. Really, it all comes down to the Heart for the House offering, the December giving, because like most nonprofits and churches, 20 to 30% of our whole budget will come in in the last couple of weeks or three weeks of December. And so it really determines so much practically. And so here's what we want you to do. Pray about it as a family. Take this card, bring it home today, Pray about it over the next couple of weeks, and then on the weekend of December 14th and 15th, after the service, the offering, you know, turn it in and uh, put your check in it and turn it in and, and, and let it be something that's a sacrifice over and above for God's glory. That's when God blesses you the most. And, and so pray about it and listen to the gentle whisper and do what God tells you to do. If you want, you can turn it in today. You don't have to wait to December 14th and 15th to do your heart for the house offering. Just whenever you feel led to do it, do that. Sometime before the end of the year. And there are many ways to give. You can do the commitment card and envelope. You can go on our Woodlands Church app. You can go online at wc.org give. And when you do that, um, there's a place that says heart for the house. And you can give it right there. And then of course, text, you can do that. Cash, credit cards, stocks and bonds, assets. Um, there are many ways to give, but it's all about the heart. And do what God tells you to do. Listen and involve your family so they can see that what you're doing is something eternal because most of the things we spend our money on and our time on won't last five years from now. Just temporary stuff, sometimes junk. But what you're doing here, when you serve one second, when you give one penny, it makes an eternal difference. Life's changed for all eternity. Well, I want us to look at the next thing God says because he'll say to you, I'm not finished with you yet. And the second thing he will whisper to you is, you are not alone in your pain. You are not alone in your pain. In verse 18, he says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all of whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He was saying, I know you think you're all alone, you feel all alone, but you're not. There's 7,000 others that are on your team. And I have some people that are right there that you're to mentor that, you're gonna have them. Elisha, got a name almost like yours. I've been raising him up and he's gonna be your apprentice. I, I got it taken care of. You just think you're all alone. And one of the biggest fake news stories that Satan will tell you when you're going through struggles is you are all alone. There's no one else going through what you're going through. No one else is hurting like you're hurting. Everybody here at church is happy. And you're the only one who's going through grief and 
heartache. You're the only one who's ever gone through this addiction, only one who's ever gone through this struggle. You're the only one who's ever committed that sin. You're the only one, you're the only one. You're the only one who's hurting the way you're hurting. And it's just not true. In a church our size, there's probably hundreds of people who've gone through and made it through what you're going through. That's why it's so important to be connected to the church and membership and in life groups. And, and today, right after the service, we have our pastors and our prayer teams out at the fountain again to pray for you because we've been praying for heaven to come to earth. And that's what's been happening. And we've been seeing God do miracles. But just humbly admit, hey, I'm like everyone else. I've got a struggle. I've got some pain and some problems. I need you to pray for me for this. And be specific, they'll pray for you. And, and you'll know you're not alone. That's huge. But God answers prayer. But then there's a third thing. God whispers to you, you will get through this. How do I know? Because if you're a Christ follower, Christ will walk through it with you. He will chase you down. He will never leave you and never forsake you. You will get through it because God goes through it with you. That's how I know. Isaiah 43, 2 is a promise that God wanted me to put in the message this weekend for someone who's going through pain, someone who's going through struggles right now. I don't know who you are, but this is for you. God wants to tell you through me this. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You will get through this. You may not get over it. It may change you, but you will get through it with God's power. I can assure you of that. With God's power and God's grace and God's promises, I ask our team at Woodlands Worship to write a Woodlands Worship song about this passage a couple of months ago. It was just on my heart, you know, I wanna share it with you. And, and so Stephen wrote a song that goes along with this passage about this gentle whisper. And I'm so proud of Woodlands Worship. I mean, God's using our team and churches all over the world are now singing Woodlands Worship songs and, and God is using that as another way to influence people and change lives. And, and so let's stand together and I want us to sing this New Woodlands worship song, but most importantly, I want you to also listen to the gentle whisper. During the song, listen to God's gentle whisper because he wants to tell you, I'm not finished with you yet. The best is yet to come. He wants to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone in your pain. I'm right there with you. He wants to tell you, you will get through this because I'm going through it with you and I'll never leave you. Listen during the next few moments to the gentle whisper. God's gentle whisper calling you out of your shame, calling you out of isolation, calling you out into his heart. He loves you so much. He gently whispers your name. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What he's saying is, come close to me. Don't stay over there. Come here. I love you. I want to hold you and heal you. Let's sing to him and listen for the gentle whisper of God. Dear God, we thank you that you whisper to us. God whispers to you. He loves you. He whispers to you and calls you close to himself. 
He whispers to you that you will make it through with his power and his strength. I don't know what you're going through, but you will make it through. You will get through this. You know, I wish I could tell you as a Christ follower that you'll never have to experience pain. I mean, once you come to Christ, everything is perfect and you never go through pain or heartache. Everything is great. You never have a struggle. But that's not true. In fact, Christ followers and non-believers go through most of the same things. Christians and atheists go through a lot of the same stuff. Everyone experiences heartache and loss and pain and grief and tragedy, struggles. But there's one huge difference. If you're a Christ follower, you'll never go through any struggle alone. He will go through it with you. It makes all the difference. He will see you through. You will never go through anything without him. I will never leave you and never forsake you. You are my child. You are more than enough because of what I've done for you. You're beautiful. You're treasured. You're strong in me. You can do all things through me who strengthens you. That's what he whispers to us over and over again. Let's bow together. Dear God, thank you that you're so powerful that you can shatter rocks and create planets. And yet, you speak to us in a gentle whisper and you call us out of ourselves and into our calling. And I just pray for everyone here that you would just whisper healing, you'd whisper strength, you'd whisper peace and encouragement into their hearts, into their lives, into their bodies, into their emotions, that you would just answer prayers, Lord, out of the fountain today and you would just answer prayers as only you can and do miracles for your glory. And we pray for those who've never received you that they would just whisper these words to you. Dear God, I need you. Forgive me of all my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, as best I know how and ask you to save me and come into my life and take me to heaven one day. I realize I need your strength. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated, Woodlands Church, and at this point, we're gonna take our offering and give back to God, and I just praise God for what he's doing through the giving at Woodlands Church, and really pray for God to just give you an extra measure this Christmas season, and as you do, and you give in faith, God's gonna give back. He's gonna meet our needs, not our greeds, but he always meets our needs, and God is gonna meet your needs with his glory and his power, so as we give, let's thank him that he's alive, making all the difference in your life. And if he's alive, he can make a difference in your finances. You can trust his promises. So let's give back to him and pray for all the ministries and missions for what God's doing. It's a really important time at Woodland Church as we're getting ready for some huge things to make a, a big difference in people's lives. Lord, bless our giving. We thank you that you gave us the greatest gift of all, your son, Jesus Christ. And it seems like everyone else gets gifts at Christmas except for you, Lord Jesus, on your birthday. So I pray that you'd help us focus on you to give you our greatest gifts this Christmas and to celebrate you because you are the Christ of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.